Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. I want you to picture something here. I want you to put yourself in this situation. Let's say you're golfing with your buddy. You can imagine whatever golf course you want. Maybe it's the, the one you golf most frequently in, in Edmonton or in the Edmonton area. Maybe you picture yourself playing a world-famous golf course. You know, we were talking yesterday about some of the courses in central Alberta. Whatever. P- pick a golf course in your mind, and you're golfing there with your buddy. And if you're not a golfer, give yourself a fictional golf friend. Uh, we'll call him Douglas. So you're golfing with Douglas. And you're just cruising along, having a good round. You're playing with Douglas, uh, a good camaraderie. You're on this course that you both enjoy. And then this other dude, an unnamed dude, not somebody you're golfing with, doesn't even appear, appear to be someone playing the course, walks towards you and Douglas. And maybe you're kind of thinking, okay, whatever. He must be a course guy going to do something. But he keeps walking towards you. And then... He goes up to Douglas's golf bag and just takes out a club. And he takes out a club and goes, stands a few yards away from Douglas and starts taking some practice swings. In that situation, my question to you, loyal listeners of Inside Sports, what would you do? I'm guessing you wouldn't be very happy. I'm guessing you might even feel, like I don't want to sound paranoid here, but I'm guessing you might feel a little bit threatened. Like, what is this dude going to do? Is he stealing the golf club? Is he now going to use this golf club as a weapon against you and Douglas? What is happening? Would you not make some sort of an immediate effort to get this interloper away from you and Douglas and get Douglas's golf club back? I would think that would be the normal course of action. Just with you and Douglas, two buddies out having a round of golf. Nothing on the line a recreational round, but you're not going to accept somebody you don't know wandering onto the course and just pilfering one of Douglas's clubs. So given that scenario, it made it all the more curious to me to see what happened today at the Scottish Open when uh, Rory McIlroy is on the 10th tee with John Rahm and their two caddies. And this, you may have seen this video or read about it already. I, I heard about it uh, this morning, and then you know I watched the video this afternoon. So they're on the tenth tee, kind of waiting to hit, and this dude comes out of the gallery and goes up to Rory McIlroy's golf bag and tries to pull out his driver, which had a, a head cover on it, and he only uh, was able to snatch the head cover off the club. He realizes he only has the head cover, so he turns back and reaches into the golf bag and takes out an iron. And then goes and stands on the tee box and kind of sets up. I can't, I can't remember if he took a practice swing or two. And he he has the head cover there on the ground. So what is this? so? What was really curious to me is this is a situation where a fan has obviously gone somewhere he is not supposed to go, and he has taken something he is not supposed to take. 
I would have expected in this situation, one of the two caddies would have quite assertively gone after this gentleman and got the golfer's equipment back. Now, I'm not saying the guy should be beaten up or should have been beaten with the golf club or anything like that. But I would say that this is an abnormal situation that could, that could, uh, you know, potentially be dangerous to the golfers. And certainly sets a precedent that you don't want to set where fans, <laughs> where fans of the golf tournament could just, well, you know what? I feel like seeing what this uh, golfer's club would feel like in my hands. So I'm just going to walk inside the ropes and, and take it, and I'll probably get to fool around with it for a couple minutes. So basically, they called, uh, uh, first of all, a course, the, the, the starter, like the official for the tournament, just goes up and politely talks to the guy. And the guy just continues standing there and kind of taking some swings with the clubs. And then they, they call security who lead this guy away. Uh, and he tried to keep the head cover. He kind of had it tucked under his arm and it had to be snatched away from him. I would I have to admit, I was quite surprised at how this played out. Maybe you've been to an Elks game or we've seen situations in the um, in the uh, NFL, CFL, where someone runs onto the field. And the, the, the dude gets tackled by security if he gets away or if he's trying to get away. Like, he absolutely gets destroyed. We've seen football players. Do you remember the West semifinal, I believe, in 2003? Winnipeg against BC. A fan ran onto the field right at the end of the game, and one of the defensive backs just clocked the guy. Um, so, you know, usually this, now I realize golf is not a violent sport, um, but I, I was surprised it got to the point. Somebody has just texted in 780-496-0063. What's the caddy supposed to do, Reed? They handled it the correct way. By the way, Reed is R-E-I-D. Well, I'm telling you what I think the caddy is supposed to do. Go directly over to the guy, get the club back immediately, and tell the guy to get lost or pull him off the tee box. Like, that's that's to me uh, how it should have been handled. I just thought it was... Uh, I just thought it was kind of interesting how gently it was handled. And I guess golf, golf is a gentlemanly game. But if I was a caddy in that situation, like I said, if if I'm playing the 11th at Riverside and somebody jumps over the fence that separates the golf course from the running path along the river and walks up to my buddy while we're playing and takes a club out of his bag, I'm like, I'm shouting at him. I'm trying to get the club back. But I'm not saying I'm going to tackle the guy and fight the guy, but I'm not just going to kind of stand there and watch what he's doing. So I was surprised at a pro golf tournament. Uh, you know, we're let, let, let's face it, you don't know who this guy is coming out of the gallery. I, I'm surprised it wasn't handled with a little more uh, authority. I just found it interesting. 780-496-0063. If you want to text in the phone number uh, for the hotline, 780-496-0063. Presented by CertainTeed, professional-grade building materials, pro all the way. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Reed Wilkins, and the email is InsideSports at 630Shed.com. Anyway, hope you're having a great day. Just a little bit of an oddity from the world of sports there that we uh, saw today. We're going to have Morley Scott coming up between 630 and 7. Elks Camp starts 
Well, tomorrow with medicals and physicals, they were on the field on Sunday. So we'll see what's going on with the Elks. We'll also get some comments from head coach Jamie Elizondo. He and GM Brock Sunderland held an availability earlier today. Pleased to uh, welcome to Inside Sports technical producer here at 630 Chad. He's been producing the show this week with Dave Campbell on holidays. By the way, happy birthday to Dave Campbell. It is Dave's birthday tomorrow as he turns 32. Big day for Dave Campbell tomorrow. Brennan Clack is back at the 630 Chet Broadcasting Compound. Brennan, how are you doing? Doing great, Reed. I'm really excited to be part of the show. And uh, I also was bedazzled, I guess is the word, by Rory and Rom just watching that all go down. Yeah, I feel like nobody even really questioned what was happening. Like, nobody even seemed that upset about it. Like, you think somebody would be like, hey, dude, you got to get out of here. But... Maybe that's just uh, maybe that's just me. Maybe I just expect uh, more of a harsh reaction. Than, are you a golfer yourself? I've just started to get into golfing recently. Going to Cougar Creek for a scramble next weekend. Now, are you a good player? No, definitely not. Definitely. Well, at least you, you know where you stand. Well, it, it's good to have you as part of the show, and we'll have some things to chat about tonight. Of course, we do have the Edmonton Elks coming up with training camp, and uh, Jamie Elizondo, I asked him earlier today on a Zoom availability, no preseason. How does that affect things for the coaches? Obviously, it, what, the first thing that comes into mind, there's two components, right? The first component that comes into mind is how are we going to simulate tackling uh, and, and getting hit right on both sides of the ball, right? So tackling from a defensive perspective, ball security emphasis uh, on the other side of the ball when you get that first shot uh, in the ribs when you get hit right how do you how do you handle that first uh, bit of contact so we're going to try to simulate some of that the second component when you lose preseason games is you know the special teams uh, competitive nature of it the evaluation component uh, that one goes out the window when you lose you know uh, multiple opportunities in a preseason game to evaluate guys on special teams and those are the guys that are usually on the cusp of deciding one way or the other if they're going to make the roster or not. So we've got a plan in place to try to simulate, you know, uh, that competition and, and some of the drills that we do. So we feel good about our plan, but that's just everybody in the league is going to be in the same boat. So it's an equal playing field in that regard. And, we're, you know, that won't be an excuse. We just have to be more diligent about how we go through our process of putting these guys uh, in a fair evaluation process and simulating competition. All right, yeah, so they get going uh, on the field on Sunday and no preseason game. So like you said, it'll be kind of difficult to recreate contact, to have tackling for the defensive players, ball security for the offensive players. Of course, the Elks kick it off on August 7th, Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. We're going to be taking on the Ottawa Red Blacks. And we have all the games for you right here on 630 Chet. Okay, uh, Jamie Elizondo was, uh, you know, interesting situation for him. We had Scott Milanovic as the head coach. He never coached a game. Came here, last season was wiped out, then he got a job to go back to the NFL. So I also asked Elizondo about team identity. Is there anything key that he's trying to create? Everything that we do here is about uh, the Edmonton Elks and how we function as a team. And what we're focusing on is the process. Hopefully our identity will be evident in the games that we play. So, you know, my philosophy has, has always been rather than me telling you what our identity is, you should be able to see that and how we play the game. Right. And that's, that's something that we're going to take pride, uh, you know, in, in how we prepare and how we compete and how we practice. And we have a process for all those things. But as far as me sitting here in front of you guys and telling you, this is going to be our identity, you know, it's easy to make those statements. You never know what you're going to get faced with 
one, during training camp with injuries, and two, as the season goes on. So hopefully to everybody out there, the, the, the team identity that you're talking about will be evident in, in how, you, how you play the game and the product that we put on the field. It's similar to culture. Culture is not something that you can define. It's just something that's felt. So very similar with that identity in that regard. All right, a little bit there from Jamie Elizondo, and you'll be hearing plenty more from him on 6.30 Jet at Inside Sports throughout the uh, CFL season. Got a text here, uh, and I just quickly looked up. Lando says, great handle, by the way. I assume you're a bit of a smuggler and a scoundrel, Lando. What about the guy who stole the Jets player's helmet? I think it was in Boston. Yeah, I just quickly double-checked that. It was a while ago when I was in Twitter. Do you remember this, Brennan? Adam Party got checked through the glass. It was actually in uh, Chicago, and a fan took his helmet and uh, plopped it on his head. Do you remember this? I do remember it, yeah, Uh, because it was just kind of like the glass pops up a little bit out, and then he just kind of reaches for it like very snidely. And then puts it on his head. I get it, but he, but he took it right off his head. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't view that as exactly the same situation as today. Um, I, I mean, clearly, obviously, if you're that fan, it's like, okay. But the party did kind of fall into his lap. And I guess the fan was being cheeky, like, oh, I could just grab the helmet. Uh, I, I think eventually he gave it back. But n- not ex- to me, not exactly the same situation as a fan just uh, casually walking up to uh, a golf bag and taking a club out and, uh, you know, and then just standing on the tee. I get, well, some texture says he ripped it off his head. Yeah, fair enough. Shouldn't have done that either. I just think that was more of a heat of the moment thing as opposed to this guy premeditated goes on there. People are just kind of like, oh, we'll just kind of let him have his fun and then take him away. Anyway, uh, 7804960 Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. 063, you could get in touch and talk about whatever you want, really. Morley's coming off, and uh, we'll get into some hockey talk when we get back. Uh, this texture says that golf incident could have been bad. Remember Steffi Graf a few years ago? Uh, yes, I think what that texture is referring to actually was Monica Sellis stabbed by a Steffi Graf fan back in 1993. Uh, this was in Hamburg, Germany. I'm just refreshed. I remember this was a huge story at the time. I would have been in university. Brendan, this was probably before you joined us on planet Earth. But uh, a quarterfinal match in Germany, Monica Sellis was playing, and a fan of Steffi Graf ran from the middle of the crowd to the edge of the court during a break between games and stabbed Monica Sellis between the shoulder blades, and she had to be taken to hospital. Uh, she had physical injuries that I'm just refreshing this on a news site here. Physical injuries took only a few weeks to heal, but she didn't come back to competitive tennis for more than two years. So, yeah, that, that is part of my point. And I mean, that's worst-case scenario, but I think if you're someone who is involved in a sporting event that you have to be prepared for the worst the uh, worst case scenario. And I, I just don't think fans on the playing surface, even if it's a gentler sport like golf and tennis would be a gentle sport. Uh, I, I think you got to be careful. 
And I know sometimes, sometimes alcohol can be involved. I mean, in this case with Monica Sellis, it was pure, Mm -hmm. uh, well, hatred, you know, but that's, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes bad things do happen and you don't know what this dude is going to do once he gets to the golf club or what he's carrying or anything like that. 780-496-0063. We have Dan on the line. Dan, thanks for calling. Go ahead. Sorry, Dan, do we have you? Yeah, how are you tonight, Reed? Good. Good. Hey, Reed, I just wanted to make a comment on that Roy McElroy there, stealing the sure. club there. I think everybody was just shocked. I think right. I, fully expect, I fully expect to see you on Riverside popping somebody there from grabbing the club there. But, uh, no, I think it was more or less shocked because even when I saw the video, I was kind of kind of should step back and like, oh, what's this all about? And uh, and you know, you know golf, it's a gentleman's sport. If you tackle the guy, holy jeez, that media would just blow up. <laughs> well, you, you, you know how that works out. Yeah, I, I get your point, Dad, and, you, and you're right. I do think people were shocked. I, I was just surprised a caddy didn't even say like, hey man, like give, you got to give that back, you know, and then hope the guy goes away. I was just a little bit surprised everybody kind of just Stood there, uh, and then uh, the, did you see, actually see the video as well? I assume you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the video, I got to admit, though, Reed, I just stood there and looked at it and went, "Wow, what's that all about?" Like, so it no, was I pretty really, weird. I really don't know. And I mean, anything else? Like you say, any football game, you see a guy getting tackled, or or in in hockey, I've seen guys getting boarded before. Back in the seventies, yeah. eighties, there when they got on the ice, that's a little different of a ball game. This is a gentleman's <laughs> sport, and I guess you got to play within, you know, the you know. Social media, read—that's for sure. But thank well, you. Well, I, I, yeah. Well, you're right. I mean, I, I, I'm not—I'm not promoting the the assault of this gentleman. I thought there just would be something a little more forceful. And Dan's right. If they if they do go after him and then, you know, he gets hurt or something, that's like, oh, why didn't they just ask him to leave? And don't, don't worry, I'm not going to be popping anybody at Riverside. The the yeah. only anger. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll, just, yeah, I'll, I'll watch for, I'll listen on 6.30 chat for any assaults going on in every golf course is out there. <laughs> yeah, the only person I get angry at while I'm golfing is myself because I'm so terrible. Yeah, well, <laughs> as long as you're having fun, that's the main thing, Reed. Yeah, thank you, Dad. Hey, you have a good night. That's Dad, 780-496-0063. Roland says that would have been a great scene in Happy Gilmore. Uh, now, what was the the fight scene in Happy Gilmore? Was was that not Bob Barker beating up Adam Sandler, Brennan? Or uh, did you remember that show? That's probably before your time as well. No, I watched a lot of Prices Right with Bob Barker, and uh, yes, that that's why it was so funny in the movie. There was no I, there was no Happy Gilmore gallery interaction that I can remember. No, not that I can remember either, but it's been a long time since I've seen it because I was telling you on the break, I was I was thinking of Rob Ray pounding on the guy that went over the glass. Oh, right. Yeah, and Ty Domi got into it with somebody. Didn't the fan in, was it Philly, knock the, the glass out kind of on top of Domi while they were yelling at each other? Something happened with Ty Domi. There was a water, ball, a water bottle incident where he sprayed it up at the fan that was heckling him. And Oilers fans will remember this, who will remember the Battle of Alberta from the 1980s. And I know some of you aren't of that vintage, but for those of you who are, I don't remember the season. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody listening wasn't at this game. Bearcat Murray 
the Calgary Flames trainer was on the ice attending to an injured flame along the boards. I want to say it was along the hash marks in the zone closest to the visiting team's bench. And an Oilers fan was heckling him saying something. And I, I believe it was Bearcat Murray kind of jumped up and tried to slap the guy with a towel over top of the glass, which I guess that's more of a case of somebody involved in the game trying to go in, go into the stands as opposed to the other way around. Anyway, Dan, thanks for calling kind of a, a quirky topic today. We'll dive a little bit more deeper into Edmonton Elks training camp. Some of their storylines when we get back, uh, Morley Scott's listening and probably has. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Some fan stories uh, as well from his days uh, covering hockey and football. That's coming up inside sports on Jet. Blue Jays in action in the fourth. They trail the Tampa Bay Rays 2-1. Basil says, when you mentioned the Battle of Alberta, I thought you were going to talk about Glenn Sather and the Hound. The only uh, only thing I remember with the Hound, was it not Mac T, though, that pulled the tongue out of Harvey the Hound? When would that have been? I don't remember what year that was. Probably 15 years ago at least now. Sather may have had an incident with Harvey as well. Robin Capilano, how about the classic beating that Mike Milbury beat the fan in the stands with a shoe? I quickly looked that up. December 23rd, 1979, huge incident in Madison Square Garden with a Rangers fan cut Stan Jonathan's face with a rolled-up program and grabbed his hockey stick. Terry O'Reilly went into the stands. Other Bruins teammates, eventually Mike Milbury went into the stands, got a spectator down, took off one of his shoes, and then slapped them with it before being restrained. Milbury was suspended for six games and got a $500 fine, which would have been more costly to an NHL player in 1979 than it would be now. We're talking about this because of the fan walking onto the course at the Scottish Open today and getting away pretty unscathed. Former D-man Mark. Referencing Bob Barker and Happy Gilmore. Says that was uh, definitely classic Bob Barker. He was down and out. He came back to life. He grabbed Happy by the throat and started to take it to him. He then asked if he'd had enough, at which point he KO'd him with a kick to the chops. Sander had written that in perfect old Bob got the better of him, and I think fans remember it with more fondness than had the outcome been the other way around. That lead into it was so funny. Bob Barker was heckling him. Yeah, if you're going to work Bob Barker into your screenplay and have him get into a fight, I think you got to have Barker be the winner. I don't think Barker's taking that role if he doesn't win the fight. Just, 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 just speculating. Uh, I know that movie's a little older now for some of you. Yeah, that was definitely Mac T with the Harvey Hound, uh, Harvey the Hound, and the tongue. If there maybe there's a Glenn Sather incident that that uh, that texture is thinking about though that I'm not remembering. But tearing the actually Morley Scott, did you work that game? You would have worked that game. What are you not? I did. Yeah, I remember it well. 
Mac T. Harvey leaned over the glass, and Mac T. just was frustrated because there was a lot of frustrating nights in Calgary during that era, and he was upset. And he just grabbed a hold of the tongue, which hangs out, and just ripped it. I, I don't. I think it surprised Mac T. that it came out so easy, and uh, Harvey was speechless, of course, because he had no tongue. But other than that, uh, it was the end of the incident. They did produce in Calgary, and we saw it. They, they played it on the big screen. Um, a year later, it was a great mockumentary about the uh, repairing of the tongue and how uh, uh, the hound got taken to hospital right after, and they had you know fake interviews with the surgeon and everything like that. It was it was really really well done. But yeah, that's a that's a great incident from from uh, from a few years ago with Craig McTavish. Uh, and that was I just double checked the date, January twentieth, two thousand three. Now, were you? So you and Rod would have been calling the game from up top, and I, I, I believe Cal- Calgary's pretty high up there. Were you aware, or maybe Calgary isn't high up there? There's something weird about the Calgary broadcast site. You'll have to remind me. Uh, were you aware that the tongue came out? Like, could you yeah, see I, it, or I were remember, you watching the I monitor? Looking, yeah, I remember looking right at it and, and seeing it as it happened. So, uh, yeah, we knew it happened right away. And, and then it just got shown on the big screen over and over because that, of course, riled up the fans, right? And uh, it was uh, it was pretty funny. It was a pretty funny evening. And, and I don't recall Mac T postgame, but I know Mac T is, uh, is quite the wordsmith, and I imagine he had some great comments postgame after, after that. But, uh, yeah, I remember looking right at it and going, whoa, he just ripped his tongue out. You know, and then he just threw it away, too. He just threw it back up in the crowd. I was like, I don't want this thing. Uh, and former D-man Mark says, I think Sather once might have given the fans in Calgary the finger or something like that. That could have happened more than once. Yep. <laughs> probably both ways. Uh, probably Calgary coaches when they were here and players. Anything, any, a, lot of, a lot of stuff like that. I, um, I, never, okay. I never saw this, and, and I'll, I'll tell a story because Rod Phillips is always so great at telling stories from, from the old days. So I'll share this story that Rod uh, told me a couple of times, and I believe it was in Quebec City one time. The team was going to the bus after the game, and there was a bunch of, bunch of fans out, and they're heckling the players, and somebody, I guess, got on Glenn Sather's nerves as he was walking towards the bus. And you know how Slats always had the cigar in his mouth, right? And, and the cigar wasn't lit, but the end of the cigar was just slimy because he was just chewing on it and sucking on it for hours on end, right? And he was, I guess it was a, it was a little short, little stubby thing, right? And, and, and the fans yelling at, at Slats, and I guess he had had enough, so he just took the cigar and he flicked it at the guy. And the wet end stuck to his forehead, and as Rod tells it, it just kind of stayed there for three or four seconds outright, just kind of stuck to the guy's forehead, uh, forehead before it fell to the ground. So, <laughs> would have been great to see. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to see how some of these, these things play out. Most of them wind up on the lighter side. But uh, Rob just wrote in and says, you know, there was a fan who caused that massive crash at the Tour de France. I, I think mm-hmm. that was just last week. I mean, that was because we're talking about the guy going on the tee at the Scottish Open, and I was surprised it was handled so gently. I'm not saying the guy should have been beat up, but you think one of the caddies would have grabbed the club back and tried to pull the guy off yeah. the tee box. Somebody wrote in about Monica Sellis. I mean, she got a fan ran down and, and stabbed her while she was sitting courtside during a match. So, I mean, some, usually, thankfully, it winds up you, that, that you laugh about it, but sometimes somebody does have uh, sinister intent or just doesn't realize, like, that if you're holding a sign out of the Tour de France, maybe you shouldn't poke it out into the laneway where the, yeah. the, the riders are actually going. But uh, you, you also remember... Because was there not an incident with uh, an offensive lineman 
on the double oh. E football team a few years ago? Tony Washington. Uh, the uh, the the Elks are on the field, and I can't. I, I, I want to say they might have been playing Montreal, possibly. I can't remember who they were playing, but the O line is standing there, the, uh, waiting for the play to get whistled in. So they're all just kind of standing there, and a fan runs on the field, and he runs runs around a little bit, and then he decides he wants the football. So he runs in, he grabs the football between the two lines, like the O line and the D line, and they're just looking at him, right? And they decided he he wants the football. So he says, "Oh, I got a great souvenir." He picks the football up, takes about three steps and playing at offensive tackle, which would have been the last guy he would run by, was Tony Washington who just stuck out his arm and clotheslined the guy. And he just just went head over heels. Feet went straight up in the air and he went down. And it was just an unbelievable clock. Uh, just uh, I don't think he knocked him out, but he came pretty close to it because that's a that's a pretty big man to, to stick his arm out when you're running at full speed and likely inebriated as well. I, I also remember in Boston many years ago, a fan in the old garden getting on the on the uh, ice and running across the ice and he was he was running towards the players and the big linesman uh, I don't know if you remember him, Ron Asselstein really yep. big man uh, they called him the bear for good reason he just barreled across the ice and he decided I'm not letting this guy get near the players on the ice and he skated behind the guy at full speed I believe him just put his head down and just barreled into his back and took him down into the boards it would have been a major for cross checking uh, if he was a player for sure into the air uh, well, maybe, maybe Morley. <laughs> but, well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe not this year, but back then it would have been. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's the two that come to mind. I just remember the velocity of that hit from Ron Asselstein on this fan uh, in Boston. It was a really hard hit, and and the Tony Washington close line that that's going to stick in my memory for a long time. Yeah, I'm just, I just quickly googled that. Well, January twenty eighth, nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, and the fan was. I guess the worry was that he was running towards the ref, Bill McCreary. So Asselstein oh, said, I let no him way. Go, then. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all the other fans would have let him go. The linesman had to do something about it, obviously. So uh, anyway, I, I, I didn't think we'd spend that, that long on this, uh, on this path. One other thing uh, some, on, that, on that video uh, you're talking about from the Scottish Open, if you watch that right to the end, yeah, it was it was handled with some authority at the end because there's a guy in a red a red shirt with a backpack. Yeah, on finally, the he's clearly the security guy, and he was having nothing to do with that guy. He just like he was right up with him, and he was that guy was in trouble at that point for sure. But yeah, it did take a, it did take a while. I think that was at about the minute and a half mark of the video. It took a while for anybody from security, air quotes there, to to get in and handle things. So, uh, but I yeah, I, w- I would have been a little cautious because you never know what a guy's got and what a guy's intentions are when he sneaks on. onto the playing field like that. We've opened a whole can of worms here because through all this conversation, we also have worked in the Bob Barker scene (laughs) in Happy Gilmore, and now somebody has written in saying, wasn't that Ted Knight? Ted Knight was in Caddyshack, was he not? Yeah, Ted Knight was in Caddyshack. Unless that texture is thinking about coaches who got angry at fans, and that would have been Bobby Knight. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, you know, that anyway, was, it, it, that was indeed Bob Barker. Great scene. Classic actor, Bob Barker, for sure. Yes, and, and Ted Knight, uh, he was kind of the heel in in Caddyshack, was he not? I'm sure yep, that was, was the situation. Yep, yep, well, was that was his last movie, actually. Yeah, he was the judge, right. I don't know if he fought anybody, but yeah, okay. Well, we've covered that. Well, I don't know if we're done covering this, actually, because once, uh, you know what it's like on this show, Morley, once we uh, get going on and on the branch of a topic, more branches come yeah. off of that, and we just, uh, uh, oh, Ron, Ron Artest. You know, here's an interesting story, and we are going to talk about the Elks. That's why we brought you on. Ron Artest. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
so here's the thing. That would have been, I think, in the fall of 2004. He uh, he went into the crowd and brawled with the fans, right? Yep. And then about a week and a half after that, my buddy and I went to Seattle. We had, we had a great we had a great weekend. We went to uh, Seattle and Indiana NBA game Saturday night. We went to a WHL game, uh, Medicine Hat against Seattle Thunderbirds Sunday. Or no, what was it? No, no, we went. No, it was Saturday. I can't remember. But we did WHL, NBA, and NFL in in the two days. And Indiana was playing Seattle. And because of the suspensions and a couple of injuries, Indiana only had eight players. <laughs> and that was the year Seattle started the season, something like 21 and four. I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, but and, and Reggie Miller was on Indiana, but he was injured. So he was on the, the, uh, the bench in a suit the entire game. So Seattle won. And I remember Indiana only used eight guys until the last minute of the game like they they signed because you know in the nba they have those 10-day contracts yeah. they still do but they used to so they subbed in their ninth and tenth guys in the last minute of the game <laughs> it's like hey did you play yeah i got 40 seconds they're they're only using me when the game's over anyway by the way we're all bringing uh, it around somehow if you check your twitter feed uh, travis Kerr must be listening because he just uh he just posted on twitter to you and i the picture of tony washington uh clotheslining that fan and to me i, I look at a picture and all i can see is the referee in the background with a big smile on his face so. yeah there it is okay yeah 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 <laughs> thank you travis that is a good one okay all right nice work travis yeah that's good stuff <laughs> So that's what I'm saying. Maybe not run onto the field because that could happen. Usually it's handled like it is today, uh, but sometimes it, it can be dangerous. I, I remember you're not supposed to, and a lot of the people who do that do get charged with trespassing. So it's, it's not a good result. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I got to tell Reed, I got to tell one more. I'm sorry. I just came yeah, no, do it. back in Vancouver when uh, the uh, Edmonton was in Vancouver to play at the old, when they, when they were that spent that one year at the empire's field where they, where they rebuilt the stadium while they were doing the renovations at BC Place, yep. uh, a streaker came onto the field, right? And I'm trying to remember the Canadian D lineman uh, uh, taken first in the draft. Uh, I can't, his name's escaping me now. Went into boxing after. Um, oh, I can't remember his name. Oh, Braidwood? Yeah, yeah, Braidwood. Uh, so this is when he came back to the team, right, and was playing for that year. So I remember talking to him post-game about this. And there was a, uh, a streaker came on, and he's running around, and Braidwood, you know, went after him. He started to chase him a little bit, and then he stopped. And afterwards, I remember him talking in the dressing room after going saying, yeah, I, I, I hate that when that happens. I didn't want it to happen. I was mad at that guy for coming on the field, and I was going to track him down. And then I started to chase him, and then I thought – if I tack, I was going to tackle him. And then I thought, if I tackle him, I'm going to end up lying on top of a naked guy, and I do not want to do that. So that's why he stopped chasing after the guy and wouldn't take him down. So yeah. I can just remember him saying, "I then realized that if I tackle this guy, I'm going to be laying on top of a naked guy on national TV." Uh, well, uh, yeah. The moral of that story is uh, we're moving on. Okay. <laughs> Morley Scott joining us. Hey, uh, speaking of the BC Lions, we, we should mention this before we dive into some elk stuff. Their quarterback, Michael, Michael. Riley. Tell us about that distinction this season. Well, it's it's a it's a tribute because I don't know if uh, if people know or not, but uh, Michael Riley lost his mother during the off season. In fact, just a couple of months ago, um, uh, Rhonda passed away, and. Uh, 
he says that uh, she always hated it when people called him Mike because she said she named him Michael. That's your name, and that's what I want you to be called. So she always called him Michael, and he has decided as a tribute to his mom, who passed away just a couple of months ago, that uh, he will now be known as Michael Riley instead of Mike Riley. So uh, it's a great honor and a nice tribute after uh, uh, a terrible tragedy with him losing his mom. Okay. Thanks for that, because people may see that, uh, him being referred to as Michael Riley, so that's why. Good, uh, obviously tragic for uh, him and his family, but uh, a very classy move, as you would expect from Michael Riley. Yep. So the Elks are getting at it. Um, Remind me about some of the the key additions and subtractions from this roster over the past... uh, 20 months. <laughs> I mean, well, cause sometimes I sit and think like, well, Darrell Walker's back and they got James Wilder Jr. Like they got some pretty significant players ready to go here on the weekend. Yeah, they do. They, they made some pretty significant signings. It's funny, Reed, when you go back, they signed some pretty interesting guys last year in free agency in 2020, never played a game for them. And now they've gone somewhere else as well. Right. And it's, it's really a weird cycle in the Canadian football league right now. But I think that the key additions uh, are, are guys coming back. And that would be, as you mentioned, Darrell Walker, it would be Aaron Grimes, it would be Kenny Stafford and Matt O'Donnell just in the last couple of weeks, both with new contracts and and have returned to the team. So there's there's those guys. There's there's a couple of positions that, that I'm really going to be watching for to see how they play out. But those are, those are some of the key additions that they've made. They made uh, some changes in the defensive backfield, uh, brought in some guys both in 20 and in 21 leading into into training camp this year. And you mentioned James Wilder Jr. as well, who is who is here, and that is indeed a big signing because. Uh, Especially if you've watched him play against Edmonton, you know he can put up the numbers. Um, he was he was he was one of those guys who was flirting briefly until he got injured with that uh, thousand thousand season, right? Uh, he and Andrew Harris both kind of talked about it a little bit, but uh, Wilder got injured and never got a chance to really uh, challenge for it. But he's a good running back, both uh, both with the ball uh, running and then out of the backfield with good hands as well. So uh, I really I'm really kind of excited about it. There are some question marks though, Reed. The biggest one I think really in the last. Uh, couple of weeks there's been some developments on the offensive line and that's where now a, a real stable group kind of gets some question marks because as as you know yesterday they announced uh, Colin Kelly who started uh, the last uh, 18 games in the last two seasons at that tackle spot has been injured and he's not maybe not, not might not play this year he's out at least three to five months uh, with a uh, torn pec and how did he get it well doing push-ups in his quarant- in his hotel room during quarantine, and, and he tore his pec muscle. So uh, he's out three to five months. That's a pretty big loss because he's a pretty steady guy at that offensive tackle position. Uh, they've also uh, lost some guys who were uh, potential to play there. Uh, Derek Dennis isn't going to play this year. Uh, Randy Richards. Uh, there was a story out that he had retired, but he's still on the Elks roster right now, and, and we'll have to wait and see how that develops. So maybe there's a chance he can come back. Uh, but Tommy Draheim has retired as well, another guy who started a lot of games at the left tackle position uh, for the Elks last season or, or in 2019. So there's really uh, something that has to be worked out. Uh, replacements that, that they have, I think it's going to be a really good opportunity uh, for, for Sir Vincent Rogers to come back and get his get his job back. He, of course, signed with the Elks in 2019, never got to play a game because he had a torn peck in training camp and never played at all that year. Uh, they have Kyle Saxon, who played a lot in the tackle position mm. late in the season last year. Uh, he's one of those Canadian-American guys, right? His, his mom was born in in the Maritimes somewhere, but he's he wasn't in Canada until he came up for uh, came up for training camp last year or 2019. Uh, so the, he he's got a chance to to really earn a job in his second year. Plus, Steve Nelson, 
who uh, is their global draft pick out of Denmark, but he played college football in the U.S. in Michigan, and uh, uh, he has got a chance to the, – the door is open for him a little bit. Jack Cordilla uh, as well, a draft pick from 2019 with an opportunity to move forward also. So there are some – some things on the O-line that have to be sorted out, which is going to be pretty delicate. And I think that might be tough to do without any preseason games as well. And that's that's going to be an issue that I think the coaches are going to have trouble with across the league, making some decisions on players without seeing them in actual game, game footage. The talks between the CFL and the XFL have concluded. There will be no further relationship between the two leagues. I was not overly surprised to hear this. I was a little surprised at the nervous reaction a few months ago when this was announced that, oh, merger, oh, we're going to lose the Canadian rules. And I was like, come on, they can't even play at the same time of year. The XFL kind of doesn't even really exist right now uh what what have you heard about this like was there any real interest um did did some cfl teams maybe kind of urge say urge the moving on from it and say okay look we need to just get on with our own business here I, I think that was part of it. I think the teams uh, themselves and the league, to a certain extent, wanted to focus on 2021 and their return to play and not have that hanging over them. Uh, I'll tell you what, whatever uh, uh, non-disclosure agreements that everybody signed did a great job because nobody was talking about this at all for that three- or four-month stretch where they were talking. They, they announced it, I think, back in March that they were going to spend some time talking. And uh, we really never... No information really snuck out that I, that I saw. There was uh, there was talk now this week that uh, Toronto, and that's been the talk all along, that Toronto was kind of leading the charge. And, you know, Toronto, I think, has that fixation with the U.S., and, and I think that they are interested in becoming part of that league, and that's what kind of spurred on the talks a little bit. Uh, and then I also heard that the, that, that the three uh, community-owned teams in the West were, were, were against it and wanted things to get, get ended and, and moved along. And even if you notice um, the Elks release about it, so we're pleased to tell you that uh, we're, or we're pleased with the decision to walk away from talks. So uh, I, I don't think it's, it's over as far as some talks to coordinate some aspects of the game, but I don't think uh, I've all along, I've said, how can you possibly merge? It just, it just doesn't happen. It, the biggest thing, as you just mentioned, is the times they play the CFL, you know, the XFL plays after the Super Bowl in February and, and goes until, you know, late August or into September and, and CFL cannot play in February, right? And and the XFL cannot play past September 1st because everybody's watching the NFL and college football at that time in the States and there's just no appetite. And we'd and, and really look at it. I mean, over the years, how many spring leagues have we seen in the United States that have cropped up? Well, the USFL, the USFL might have lasted a little longer, except then they tried to move to the fall. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They had so, they had some so much for that. That's a long. That's a long time yeah. ago now, right? Like that's that's a long time ago. Yeah, it's and, early eighties. You know, they had they had some other leagues that pop up the the AAF and 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 the XFL now twice. It just it just doesn't work. There's just no appetite for it in the states at that time of year. It seems, and they just they just can't be successful. There's been there's no evidence that a league at that time of the year in the states can be successful. So I'm Morley, we're in I'm our final. We're about it. So all right, we're in our final minute here. We're in our final minute here. What's happening this weekend for the Elks? 
All right. Uh, they have uh, been released from quarantine, or they will be tonight, and uh, players will be uh, at the stadium tomorrow. They will be uh, getting uh, getting the rundown, basically all the all the information about the protocols, and they'll have some team meetings. Then they'll be on the field for the first time on Sunday. Sadly, because of protocols in place by the league and health officials in the governments, uh, training camp practices are not open to the public this year. I know that's got a lot of people upset, but uh, that's the case. Safety first, people. Safety first is important. But we'll have all the coverage for you right here on 630 Chad. They're letting me and Dave in, so we'll be able to watch and let you know what's going on. All right, that's Morley Scott. Thanks, Morley. Inside Sports on Chad. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.